Hi. Hello. It's a bride. I did it again, didn't I? And a guy. Ah, uh, see, I just it can't works. do it when I look at you. It all gets cattywampus in my okay. head. I am a bride. You are a bride. And you are my bride. Ooh, that was good. Thank you. Let's try it again. Here we go. And welcome to a guy. A bride. And a Bible. We're a podcast on the Bar Podcast Network, and we are here to read the Bible. And talk about it. I just love how that became your tag. I just love that. It's I, really I, complicated. What I we know. do here is complicated. It is, there's a whole algorithm. <laughs> you know, we have consultants. One. We have one. Hi, Dwayne. <laughs> so, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. I, I guess we could say we commentate on it. We com we're commentators. Is commentate a... You know, I... It's just comment. I think it's comment, but so many people say, oh, they commentate on it. No. no, they comment on it. I think it's just comment. I think so. And whenever I hear somebody say I'm so a why commentator. So they call them commenters? I don't know. This is, this is actually, you're just There's digging up homework. a bee in my bonnet There's right now. There's your homework for tomorrow. You don't Have understand your kids how much. Look it up. That is such a bee in my bonnet. I didn't even mean to. It really is. It's one of those Bee in your yeah. bonnet? Burn my saddle. That's, that's the saying that I need to worry about more than commentate is you just. <laughs> be in my bonnet. Oh man! All right. I think well, that's the bigger concern. That my shorts are riding. You know, I don't know what to say. What do you want me to say? It's... This is great. Just keep going. <laughs> you can make up your own, huh? I'll make up my own as you I go. Can. I can. There are times where you'll say stuff like, "Where'd that come from?" You're like, "But I just made it up." My cousin Anna is like that. Anna, if you listen. Hi, Anna. Um. She'll, she'll do stuff and I'm like, what movie was that from that you're quoting? And she's like, oh, no, it's just me. It's just me full on dialogue. Ramping oh, and vamping. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that funny. I like to play off of people, but I don't just make up dialogue. You do it well. Play off of you. You do. I'm a sidekick. No, you're a side chick. No, I like to be a sidekick. Like, I like to banter. You do. That's really what you I enjoy. banter quite well. Anyway, hello, everybody. We are... We're doing a lot tonight, so we're probably not going to banter too much because we're, we're starting off three books. Yeah. And I like to read the intro thing to each of the books. You so do. I think that let's just stick with that meat and potatoes. We'll Nothing happened potatoes today. Tonight? Nothing happened today. Well, everything happened last Nothing night. Nothing ever happens. They didn't sing that song. Is that, is that them? That's one of their songs. Yeah. Okay, so. I got to see. Oh my gosh. Only three people might know this. Group. I got to see one of. Oh, you be nice. <laughs> I got to see one of my favorite bands for the first time ever, and Mark came along. I was her protection. And he begrudgingly said, well, he can hold a note and carry a tune. He has good pitch. I know that's, that's a pet peeve of yours. Yeah, I hate going to a show, and it's like, they dude, had really good buy pitch. a note. Yeah, they didn't have to buy a note. No, they didn't. They didn't they were, have to buy a vowel. They didn't talk much. They were great musicians. There we go. Let's just stick at that. I'm just going to stay there. Anyway. I just hated where we Scotland, were standing. From Scotland, I, but they hardly even talked at all. No, I... Unless they had something foul to say. I was a bit irritated by that. I. But they sang a lot of the songs that I want to hear. Nothing Ever Happens is actually not one of if my favorite If you're wondering, songs by she hasn't named the band. Oh. Del Amitri. Del Amitri. They were show a of huge, hands. Who, huge who knows? in the 90s. 90s. <laughs> Last night was an AARP concert. <gasps> oh, yeah. For the ages. I made you laugh. She was the youngest you laugh, person though. there. I made you laugh. Oh, yeah, you did. Because there was a person that fell. Oh, my gosh. 
there was it was big it was a big fall you know sometimes like people slip and it's like you can kind of get away with it like maybe i i totally said we weren't gonna banter and then i was like oh well, we did go to a concert we gotta talk about that yeah. but you know sometimes like you kind of trip and you can almost make it look like it was like it wasn't a big deal yeah. this was like crash she took a full-blown header off a second step yeah with and, drink in hand and there weren't a lot of people there so it was like a lot of attention yeah. There were more people right when the concert started. Yeah, it got up to a good solid hundred from the yes, twelve that were there. That's right. And I wouldn't call this a concert. This was a show. There's that a was a gift from my brother that it I was, was. By the way, thank you, Matthew. Very excited. Do not want you to think it was not appreciated. It um, was. Anyway, I wasn't even joking. I said, "Oh man, somebody just broke a hip, and I he died." It. But it was really the ER nurse in me was like, you know, decreased bone density after we go through menopause. And I have not gone through menopause yet. But after women go through menopause, you are a greater risk for fractures. And I just thought, oh, she fell hard. And he was just dying. Because the non-ER nurse in me, which is a sarcastic 50-something here, looking oh, around going, all oh, these people are older than me. And then she says the broken hip thing and I lost yeah. it. So we, we had a really good time. We did. We really did. I couldn't we hear fun, until though. about two this afternoon. Yeah, we always have fun, but yeah. I got to sing along with a bunch of songs, and um, sometimes it was funny though because like the last song was totally about adultery, and everybody's oh, horrible. Everybody's horrible. <laughs> it's like this acoustic song, and it sounds. It sounds you know really loving, kind of yeah, melodic, and right. I'm listening to lyrics. I'm spending the last two hours praying for this guy's salvation. Yeah, and I'm like, maybe he's not listening to lyrics. Maybe he's just like, wow, that's a good riff. And I was like, but they sing it. Oh, they I'm all, so they, it. I know, they all like stood together. There's like an accordion player. See, I'm really selling the band right now. Accordion player and two yeah. guitar, and it was all acoustic. And they're singing this like harmony, and that sounds like this like really touching song. And I'm like, they're all like sitting here saying like, yeah, cheat on her, cheat on her. Yeah, that's and then the at song. the end of the song, he does. And I was like, and I know because I've, I'm have i a geek and I've read up on a lot of his stuff that like he actually writes songs more like stories. It's not necessarily. Necessarily? Are you from. It's not necessarily. It's not necessarily um, autobiographical, but he writes about just basically how, how flawed men can be. Oh, okay. And so. It doesn't necessarily mean that. He writes from experience. I don't know if he does or not. It's not my place I'm to judge him. talking about the flawed of men. You, know? okay. you can only write what you know. Actually, authors write not only what they know, but some some authors actually like can get in. That's why they're good I mean, at it. I mean. Anyway, but I just thought, I can't really be like, whoa, awesome, adultery. And that's the end I, of the show. That's I, the end. That's it. That's like, how, we're going to end it. on that. And that was the end. But they sang it really, really well. It's a beautifully written, musically yeah. song. I, I would just probably cut just it. Just stop right you, there. You started with adultery and you're trying to sell it to our people. No, I'm trying like, to just say, like, how... Anyway, bad. that's enough. Anyway, but we got this. to go to a concert. I, I want to say two things about the show. My, just two things for me. Just two things. One was, um, it was definitely the Ecclesiastes show. Um, I'm sitting there... I love music. I've been part of sound teams on tour, studios, the works. I've done all that stuff. But the the presence of mind that I have while we're there, and honestly because we're reading the word together, um, 
almost daily, almost nailing it daily. Um, getting back in the swing of that. I I was so brought to Ecclesiastes because we just wrapped it up, and I'm thinking everything that these people in the crowd and these four dudes up on the stage represent is meaningless. And I'm just hearing Solomon say out loud, all this is vanity. Yeah. And it was breaking my heart. So I honestly was praying for this guy's salvation. And then what happens, he, he sings a song, one of the first songs he sings is um, something about not, not wanting religion or something like that. And Oh, he owns the mortgage to his soul. That was that was the guitar player. That was okay. That was the guitar player. Um, And then one of the final songs that they play is "I'm Afraid to Die." Yeah, I'm so scared of dying. Yeah, and I'm just sitting there going, "I want ten minutes with you after the show." I'm I'm actually praying for that. You know, he he might even if we tag him on this, he might even listen to this. You never know. So, Justin Curry. You should have talked more at the concert because I wanted to hear you talk. But um, we would love to, Mark would love to talk to you. I'm not, yeah, I'm not a debater. Yeah, let's talk about why you're scared to die and why I'm not. Yeah, let's but I'm that. not a debater. Anyway, but it was still really fun for me because I wanted to see them for a long time. Okay, so. So that being said, Super welcome. awkward transition. Let's we're going to learn about the, Exodus. We're, we're starting three new books tonight, everybody. We're starting from uh, Exodus chapter one. We're also kicking into John chapter one. And for the romantic in me, Song of Solomon, chapter one. Hello. Are you going to talk about my... Um, your shorn teeth? Yeah. Your shorn sheep as Because they... all my teeth have a pair. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, fairness, when we first started doing our, our readings together, uh, we actually did Song of Solomon last year. Yeah. And we, didn't rec- we weren't recording at the time. But I just kind of overstepped her while she was recording it. I started doing the man part. She started doing the girl part. So we're probably going to want to do that again. That was pretty fun. Yeah. So I'll try not... The Shulamite. The Shulamite woman. Okay. All right. So let's pray. Okay. Father, you're awesome and wonderful. You are kind and deliberate. You're intentional in pouring your love out to your children. As we read your word tonight, quicken our hearts to hear your truth. I pray that your word would give us the strength that we need in this world where the opposition of truth is very, very loud. We pray that those who would hear this, their hearts would be challenged with your word. As we go forward tonight, may their their hearts, their minds uh, be surrendered to reading, studying, and reading together with somebody they love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so shall I read the intro? Yes, intro by Ryrie. No, I wrote this. Just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so Exodus is written by Moses in approximately 1450 to 1410 BC. We'll tag Moses in this. Um, Hebrew title is taken from the first verse. These are the names of... The English title comes from the title of the Septuagint, a Greek translation. The Exodus, a way out, is the principal theme of the book. What was that? Sorry, just me dropping my... Dropping the mic? Dropping my phone. Okay. Authorship. Since the time of Joshua, the book has been attributed to Moses, a conclusion affirmed by Jesus Christ. Let's just leave it there. Okay. Um, date of the Exodus. Two principal themes exist concerning the date of the Exodus. 1446 to 1440 during the reign of Amenhotep II. Yes. Or 1290 during the reign of Ramses II. Scriptural evidence for the earlier date 
includes the statement of 1 Kings 6.1 that the Exodus occurred 480 years before the fourth year of Solomon's reign, thus placing it 1445. Further, in Judges 11, Zephthah in 1100 BC declared that Israel had possessed the land of Palestine for 300 years, which would date the conquest to 1400 BC. And there's a bunch of stuff about the objections to the date. Can we just be happy with the date? We're fine. Okay. Let's move it along. Contents. We've got three chapters. Yep. Contents. The theme of the book is deliverance from Egypt in fulfillment of the promise of Genesis 15. The book records the birth of the nation Israel, the giving of the law, and the origin of ritual worship. The revelation of God is paramount throughout the book. He is the one who controls history. He revealed himself in a new name. He is the sovereign of the covenant relationship. He is the faithful redeemer. He is judge of his own people and of his foes. He is the transcendent one who nevertheless lived among his people. Favorite passages include the birth and protection of Moses, the call of Moses, the crossing of the Red Sea, the manna story, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, and the golden calf. Awesome. That's a lot. Huge outline. We're not going to go into that. Here. That Briary did great. Those are some great helps in there. Yeah. That's great. Um, all, if you're a if you're a techie like me, you I would highly recommend that you go to faithlife.com. Use their um, free um, on the Faith Life Study Bible. There's the passage here, and then the concordance on the right. All the study notes has maps and videos and other things as well. So I highly recommend that. So I'm gonna get to reading. You all pick up your Bibles, get those swords sharpened. Here we go. Exodus chapter one. Israel and the oppression in Egypt. And these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They each came with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Nephtali, Gad and Asher, and all those who descended from Jacob were 70 individuals. And Joseph was in Egypt. And Joseph died and all of his brothers and all, and all of that generation. So everybody's gone that came down. The first generation's toast. And the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied and were many and were many and were very, very numerous. And the land was filled with them. And a new king rose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Talk about bad record keeping. He only saved the country. Yeah. And he said well, he was... Well, did not know him. Like, didn't know him well, probably. Yeah. And he said to his people, look, the people of the Israelites are greater and more numerous than us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, lest they become many, and when war happens, they also will join our enemies and will fight against us and go up from the land. Now notice from the jump, instead of saying, let's make sure they're our allies, he's already assuming they're the enemy. Which is very different from Pharaoh. Um, the previous Pharaoh. Right, the one that we just read about. Yeah. Because he was like, you know... This pharaoh is was, already... But because the previous pharaoh was so kind to Joseph... Yeah. Joseph ended up, like, taking over... Well, no, he, he shared it with pharaoh. Yeah. To, like, having everybody sell their land. Yeah. But he didn't take it for himself. No, none of it. All, all the way to the Egyptian Because they were so numerous, they were scary. Yeah, exactly. All right, so... Verse 11, and they appointed commanders of forced labor over them. These are like slave drivers. Over them in order to oppress them with their forced labor. That is slavery. And they built storage cities for Pharaoh. Pithom and Ramses were actual entire cities made just for storage. 
And as he oppressed them, so they became many, and so they spread out. And the Egyptians were afraid because of the presence of the Israelites. And the Egyptians ruthlessly compelled the Israelites to work. And they made their lives bitter with hard work, with mortar and brick, and with all sorts of work in the field, and with all their work in which they ruthlessly enslaved them. And the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one of them was Shiphrah, and the name of the second was Puah. And he said, when you help the Hebrews give birth, you will look upon the pairs of testicles, and if he is a son, put him to death. If she is a daughter, she will live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do this as the king of Egypt had said to them. That's pretty brave. They let the boys live. Yeah, they feared, they feared Yahweh more than they feared Pharaoh. And the king of Egypt summoned the midwives. He said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, because they are vigorous. Before the midwife comes to them, they have given birth. And God did the midwives good, and the people of Israel became many and were very numerous. And so because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you will throw into the Nile, and every daughter you will let live. Um, okay, so one quick thing. So this says, the reason that female children were allowed to live was because they could be married to Egyptians and assimilated into the culture. Oh, yeah. And then for verse 19, about like, oh, they, they're vigorous. They give birth faster than you Egyptians. It says, this may be a true statement, but even if it was a lie, the midwives are not commended for lying, but for refusing to kill. Yeah. The pharaoh had resorted to male infanticide. Perhaps the midwives were deliberately slow in arriving to help the mothers. That would be really clever on their part, wouldn't it? Well, except for, you know, as a nurse, I'm like, I hope they were there in case there was a complication. But, you never yeah. know. Yeah. Am I the only one seeing Yule Brenner in the Ten Commandments as Pharaoh whenever we read Exodus? I see Charlton Heston. Well, he's Moses. The bald guy, Yul Brenner, from The King and I. Oh uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. That's I always I hear his voice in my head and it's I can't get out of it, so that's where I'm at. But I'm saying like for Exodus, I was like, oh, it's yeah. I figured you know for you being the younger set of our our podcast, you might go with the uh, what is it the uh, the cartoon with. I've never been a big cartoon person, and that was after my time. What was that? The Prince of Egypt. Prince of Egypt. The girls you. watch it a lot. Prince of Egypt with Brad Pitt as Joseph. See, just that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, chapter two with me. The birth and early life of Moses. And a man from the family of Levi went and took a descendant of Levi. Can we pause? Sorry. Oh, pause. For, I'm looking at verse 22. So did Pharaoh tell his own people to kill their own sons? You know, it's it's not clear. Because it says, Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born, you're to cast into the Nile. Every daughter, you're to keep alive. I don't think so, because the Egyptians were not... So, is he saying his people, like... Technically, the Israelites were, were his people. Were his belonging. Okay. Yes. I just thought, why would they tell their own people to do that? Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Uh, verse 2. The woman conceived, and she gave birth to a son. And she saw him, that he was a fine baby, and she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him, and she coated it with tar and pitch... She placed the boy in it, and she placed it among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. The, the daughter of Pharaoh went down to wash in the Nile, while her maidservants were walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket in the midst of the reeds. 
She sent her slave woman for it, and took it, opened it, and saw him, the boy. And it was a lad weeping, and she had compassion for him, and said, This must be from the boys of the Hebrews. And this sister said to the daughter of Pharaoh, Shall I go and call for you a woman from the Hebrews who is nursing, so that she'll nurse the boy for you? Crafty little daughter. Verse 8, And the daughter of Pharaoh said to her, Go. And the girl went, and she called the mother of the boy, and the daughter of Pharaoh said, Take this boy, nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. And the woman took the boy, and she nursed him. The boy grew, and she brought him to the daughter of Pharaoh, and he became her son. She called him Moses, and the Hebrews Moshe. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. And then in those days, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his brothers. He saw their forced labor. And he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man, one of his brothers, or one of his kind. <clears throat> and he turned here and there, and he saw no one. And he struck the Egyptian, and he hit him in the sand. He went out on the second day, and there were two Hebrews fighting. And he said to the guilty one, Why are you striking your neighbor? And he said, Who appointed you as commander and a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid. Surely the matter has become known. And Pharaoh heard this from, uh, heard this matter, and he sought to kill Moses. And Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he lived in the land of Midian, and he lived at a certain well, or the well. I want to pause there for a second as we look at that. Some of this is missing some text, perhaps, uh, but just to just to look back on this, um, verse eleven. Oh, well, first start with verse ten. We know that the daughter of Pharaoh knows that this is a Hebrew boy. Number one, circumcised. And the boy grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh, the daughter, and he became her son, called him Moses, because I drew him out of the water. Uh, verse 11, those days Moses grew up, he went out to his brothers. So as this is being written, I, I'm just positing a question. Does, is this being written because our author, Moses, knows that he's going out to his brothers or is the subject Moses aware that he is a Hebrew and he's going out to the Hebrews because in the movie it was a mystery just saying until he found the flag y'all remember that I don't know. okay it's just a thought um, okay 16 now the priests of Midian had seven daughters Looking for seven brides, because women was sobbing, 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 fit to be tied. That's a great song, you know. know seven brides for seven brothers. Best know. musical. Now the priest of Midian has seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away because they were bullies. But Moses stood up, came to the rescue, and watered the flock. And they came to Rugel, their father, and he said. Why have you come so quickly today? They said, An Egyptian man delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Where is he? Why then have you left the man? Call him so that he can eat some food. And Moses agreed to stay with the man. He gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. She bore a son, and he called his name Gershom, because he said, I am an alien in a foreign land. And then during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned because of the work, and they cried out. And their cry for help because the work went up to God. And God heard the groaning and 
God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites and took notice. Going into chapter 3, any, any pausings? You good? Yep. All right. It says he was about 40. About 40 years old? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he uh, killed the Egyptian. Yeah. He took off running, and he's going to be a shepherd with Zipporah for another 40 years okay. before he comes back into Egypt. Um, it's a quick little courtship here. Moses kicks the bullies out. He said, you want some lunch and my daughter? Yeah, you want some lunch and a... I think Moses must have thought he said Ziploc bag, but he said Zippero, my daughter. So, oh, gosh. Come on, that was good stuff. No, yeah. no. Uh, Zippero, by the way, was Michelle Pfeiffer in The Prince of Egypt. Just one point it was just out. a cartoon voice fame. Uh, yeah, I know. Okay. But... Um, that was either a very quick courtship or we just have an abbreviated abridged well, version. Well, he grew up from three years old to 40 in no time, so. Yeah, there we go. Okay. That's a lot of time. All right, chapter three. Yahweh's plan to rescue the Israelites. Moses was a shepherd with the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west of the desert. And he came to the mountain of God to Horeb. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and there was the bush burning with fire, but the bush was not being consumed. Moses said, let me turn aside and see this great thing. Why does the bush not burn up? And Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see. And God called to him from the middle of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And he said, you must not come near to here. Take off your sandals from on your feet, because the place on which you are standing, it is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid of looking at God. And Yahweh said, I surely, I have seen the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry of distress because of their oppressors, for I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from this land to a good and wide land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now look, the cry of distress of the Israelites has come to me. And also I see the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And now come and I will send you to Pharaoh. You must bring my people, the Israelites, out from Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out from Egypt? And he said, Because I am with you, and this will be the sign for you that I myself have sent you. When you bring the people out from Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, Look, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they say, What's his name? Then what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, so you must say to the Israelites, I am sent me to you. And God said again to Moses, so you must say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my remembrance from generation to generation. Go and gather the elders of Israel. Say to them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors appeared to me. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I have carefully attended to you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I said, I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt 
to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you will go, and you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you will say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now let us please go on a journey for three days into the desert. Let us sacrifice to Yahweh our God. But I myself know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go unless compelled by a strong hand. And I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all my wonders. And I will do it in its and I will do in its midst, and afterward he will release you. And I will give this people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, and then when you go, you will not be empty handed. And a woman will ask from her neighbor and from the woman dwelling as an alien in her house for objects of silver silver objects of silver and gold and garments, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, and you will plunder Egypt. Period. That would be a trip. You're not just going to leave. You're going to empty out their pockets. Yeah. I well, think 400 years of slavery comes at a cost. Just saying. Yeah. But I love that this is happening... And Moses like, well, I can't do it. Yeah, we'll get to that part yeah. here in a second. But he immediately was like, what? So here's something that's careful in this. Moses doesn't know God's name. Raised 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh. Right? So he's not practicing any Hebraic stuff at all. He has no idea what it means to be Hebrew and worship Yahweh. And now he's 40 years with Jethro and Zipporah, and he still doesn't know God's name. 80 years. He's like, so who are you? Who do I tell him sent me? That's kind of a big deal. 80 years and not knowing. He's not worshiping God during this time. There's 80 years. Mm. So this is kind of a big deal. It's not like he had 80 years of discipleship. We forget that part. He had no bearing with who God was. All of a sudden, he just sees this bush burning, makes him curious, and then it starts talking to him. It just blows my mind. Same thing kind of happened to Abraham. All of a sudden, Yahweh just speaks to Abraham in Ur, and he says, hey, you need to leave your father's house. And Abraham goes, okay, I'll do that. Strange <laughs> voice in my head. Yeah. So, it's just interesting the way that God works. All right, your turn. Where am I going? John 1. In the beginning. Just um, how many verses though? 1 through 18, my love. Okay. So, intro to John. Book of John. Um, the disciple who Jesus loved. Um, the Apostle John. Um, written in 85 to 90. He was obviously a Palestinian Jew who was an eyewitness of the events of Christ's life where he displays knowledge of Jewish customs and of the land of Palestine. And he includes details of an eyewitness. Eliminating the other disciples that belong to the inner circle because James had been martyred before this time and because Peter is named in close association with the disciple who Jesus loved, one concludes that John was the author. Whether this was the Apostle John or a different John is discussed in the introduction to 1 John. John was the Apostle. John the Apostle was the son of Zebedee and Salome, and was the younger brother of James. He was a Galilean who apparently came from a fairly well-to-do home. 
Though often painted centuries later as effeminate, his real character was such that he was known as a son of thunder. He played a leading role in the work of the early church in Jerusalem. Later, he went to Ephesus for an unknown reason, was exiled to the island of Patmos. This is the most theological of the four Gospels. It deals with the nature and person of Christ and the meaning of faith in him. John's presentation of Christ as the divine son of God is seen in the titles given him in the book. The Word was God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the King of Israel, the Savior of the world, Lord and God. His deity is also asserted in the series of I Am claims. In other I Am statements... I am. I mean... I love the thread. You know? Um, it's almost like it's the same person talking. It's weird. <laughs> okay. In other I Am statements, Christ made implicit and explicit claim to be the I Am Yahweh of the Old Testament. Come on now. These are the strongest claims to deity that Jesus could have made. The structure and style of the gospel are different from those of the synoptics. It contains no parables, only seven miracles, five of which are not recorded elsewhere, and many personal interviews. The author emphasizes the physical actuality of Jesus' hunger, thirst, weariness, pain, and death as a defense against the Gnostic denial of Jesus' true human nature. Um, for date, some extreme critics say that it was written in the middle of the 2nd century, but the discovery of the Ryland's papyrus fragment, a few mm -hmm. verses from John dated about 135 AD, forced an earlier date because it would take several decades for it to have been copied and circulated as far as the Egyptian hinterland. Okay, and then contents. John's statement of purpose is clearly spelled out in 20, verse 30 and 31. The gospel is sometimes called the book of the seven signs, since the author chose seven sign miracles to reveal the person and mission of Jesus. Turning water into wine, the cure of the nobleman's son, the cure of the paralytic, the feeding of the multitude, walking on water, giving of sight to the blind, and the raising of Lazarus. Other important themes in the book include the Holy Spirit, Satan and the world, the word, and the new birth. Nice. Okay. So 1, 1 to 17? 18. 1 to 1. Okay. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Okay. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that was that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, but of the, f of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who was in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. I have that last verse. No one who has seen God at any time, the one and only God, the one who is in the bosom of the Father, that one has made him known. So, great intro. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am a huge, huge fan of John. Uh, my high school days, I was part of Get This Bible Geeks, the Bible quiz team, and John was our book. So, um, we basically spent an entire school year reading nothing but the book of John. Wow. Over and over again. I never committed to memorizing a chapter of those other people's jobs. I was like the big picture guy. But I love the book of John and how he writes with such um, detail. And I'm glad you pointed out how different it is from the other three Gospels. Mm -hmm. And it is distinctly different, the fact that they don't have parables in this. Um, just grab me when you said that. It, yeah, it doesn't have any parables. And I don't know why that really never stood out to me. Yeah. Um, and I do know some um, pastors and those who also evangelize like to take new believers and encourage them to the first thing they read is John. And I think that's uh, pretty good advice for new believers. People are not in the word um, right away or uh, they are slow in their discipleship. Definitely encourage them to read John. But like anybody who's not a believer, reading the Bible is very confusing to a non-believer. So be careful with what you recommend they read. But that was wonderful. I love how we establish Jesus at the beginning of time in John 1. It's a mirror of Genesis 1. And then we'll also see Paul writes in Colossians 1, the very statement that you just read, that Christ was there at creation. All things were made through him and for him. And so all this wonderful tapestry keeps getting built. Anything from Ryrie? Anything you want to share? Yeah, there's a couple things. Um, so, the darkness did not comprehend it in verse 5. Yeah. This says better, the darkness did not overcome the light. Yes. I like that. Actually, I have overcome his mind. And um, and then, he enlightens every man. There there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Not every, not that every man is redeemed automatically, for redemption comes through faith in the Savior, but this light is available to all men. Mm. And then, um, for verse 12, even those who believe in his name, an, example, an explanation of what it means to receive him. Mm. Yeah, he gives authority to become children of God. This is really cool. This open prologue here is so, um, it's not uh, narrative and timing because John's looking back as he writes this intro. You know, because we're going from uh, this part from 6 to 13, it just looks like he is kind of flipping a little bit on the way the writing stands. I'm going a little deep dive here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so I'll just, I'll, I'll, I will retract that, but I do love the way John's writing this. And we're about to, next reading in verse 19, that's when we get to that narrative flow of action and history of what's happening. All right, cool. Anything else from Ryrie? Um, no. 
open with me back to the Old Testament. We're going to go to some poetry, and we're going to read the Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, um, chapter 1, and only four verses, verses 1 through 4. Um, I think you should read this, actually, Barry. This is the Maiden's Soliloquy. All right. Get to the intro for us. The Song of Songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is a good one. Okay. Love short and sweet. Yep. Um, it was written by Solomon um, in 965 BC. And let's just see how that correlates with Ecclesiastes. This was written 30 years <laughs> 30 years before Ecclesiastes. So a lot of love and poetry to depression in yeah. 30 years. So let's be the opposite, babe. Let's do that. Let's flip it. Let's have our Ecclesiastes days be before. Well, before you... Um, yeah. Yeah, there let's was... Let's keep that up. Okay. Even, even days before funny, I met though? you. Even days before I met you, I had Isn't Ecclesiastes. Isn't that funny, though? It really is. Okay. So this book has been titled several, several ways. The Hebrew title from verse 1, the Song of Songs, which means the most superlative, the best of songs. The English title, also from verse 1, the Song of Solomon, which designates the author and the Canticles meaning simply songs, derived from the Latin. Verse 1 asserts that Solomon wrote this song among the 1,005 that he wrote in 1 Kings mm. 4, although this verse, the verse may be translated the Song of Songs, which is about or concerning Solomon. The contents of the book agree with all that we know about the abilities and wisdom of Solomon, and there is no compelling reason to not regard him as the author. Interpretations. Some regard the book purely as an allegory, fictional characters employed to teach the truth of God's love for his people. Such a non-historical view, however, is contrary to all principles of normal interpretation and must be rejected. Others rightly understand the book to be a historical record of the romance of Solomon with a Shulamite woman. The snapshots in the book portray the joys of love and courtship and marriage and counteract both the extremes of asceticism and of lust. The rightful place of physical love within marriage only is clearly established and honored. Within the historical framework, some also see illustrations of the love of God and Christ for his people. Obviously, Solomon does not furnish the best example of marital devotion for he had many wives. This is true. And concubines. Oh, man. 140 at this time and 6.8 many more later, um, mm. 1 Kings 11. The experiences recorded in this book may reflect only or virtually the only pure romance he had. Contents. A lyric poem in dialogue form, the book describes Solomon's love for a Shulamite girl. The king comes in disguise to her family's vineyard, wins her heart, and ultimately makes her one of his many brides. <laughs> he just said um, his bride. But yeah. One of many. One of, you know, one of the, one of the team. Okay. So title, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Oh, the Shulamite. sing it? No. It's a song. Um, no. The Shulamite to herself. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore the maidens love you. The daughters of Jerusalem to the king. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Just really quick little over there. This is but 
verse two through yeah. four. Yeah. The Shulamite expresses her love for the king, but waits for him to take the initiative. Kind of like you did for me. Not. <laughs> you took the initiative. I totally took the initiative. But yeah. it wasn't like you, well, yeah, you kind of baited the hook. I didn't pursue you more than you pursued me. No, no. But you definitely made pursuing you something I really wanted to do. That's the goal, right? Ladies. According to our stats, more ladies listen than men. I'm telling you right now. Never stop that process with your husband. And if you are not with a husband just yet, and you happen to still be listening to us, thank you. Um, I will encourage you to take a lesson from my bride and inspire that man to pursue you with holiness and with dignity and with love. It's pretty fun. I'm still pursuing you. I know. I'm still chasing after you. Yes. I love it. That's the best. Yeah. That's what, that's what part of our podcast is about. It's yeah. About the love we have for I mean, each other. seriously, every single day. I mean... Obviously, we have some days where life is just happening, but we always slow down and take some time to just mm -hmm. even just hug in the kitchen or whatever. I like when we get to dance yep. in the kitchen. We haven't done that in a while. I like to dip you. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. But, All right. But even just like stealing moments and like, like <laughs> oh my gosh. What? Yesterday, like we watched church from, we watched church online and... I was feeling pretty sloppy and I'm wearing like jeans and a t-shirt and you go oh you look so good you're so beautiful and I was like oh my gosh like I felt pretty pretty blah like I was comfortable you look you know? great in jeans and a t-shirt anyway I'm just saying that might seem like a little thing but to feel like you get me out of you, you surprise me still so. good where I'll be like, whoa, you're, why are you being so romantic right now? It's in there. Yep. It's going to come and out. It, Yeah. So anyway, I enjoy it. Good. I love you. I love you too. So you guys, you're going to get some feels. There's going to be feels for this reading. Hope you all can put up with it. Yep. Um, you know, we, have, we have the Resurrection Passion Week coming up in a week after this week kind of a drag that we don't we didn't time out reading um during that time you know the time of when christ is crucified but um we'll just get it later. we'll revisit it maybe we will and john yeah we will yeah later pass it i get you i get you all right so i think we're gonna wrap it up tonight thank you so thank much y'all for joining us i hope that you got something <laughs> you're fading quick i know Thank you for joining us, and um, I like once again the I am thing was my big takeaway tonight. That yeah. like the very first name that God gave came up in the way that Jesus described Himself. It's the best. So that's why that's my plug for reading multiple chapters and seeing yeah. how it really does line up. We haven't gotten bored with this yet. Well. There's a lot to it. Like there's, a, we could go a lot deeper. I'm sure. Yeah, but, but that's not what we're about. We want to encourage people to read. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying yeah. we're never gonna like, we're never gonna get to like, understand all of it, which is the best part of it. Yeah. 
Let Your Faith Grow Church. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mark. I'm the guy. I'm Andrea. I'm the bride. We just got done reading the Bible. Have a wonderful night.